Today and for the next uh, two weekends, we're going to be meditating on the word of the Lord from James. And uh, today we're looking at the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves? And become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I'm going to ask you to do something that at least my mother told me never to do in church, and that's to uh, look around and even over your shoulder uh, during the sermon, stare at people, Uh, I want you to watch closely what's going on around you, and um, as I say these names, I want you to raise your hand if you recognize a name or two, and this is how it works. Keep your hands up until I ask you to put them down, okay? So, as soon as you recognize a name, raise a hand and start looking around. Garland Gatoski, Elmer Christensen. Russell Lee, Orville Morin, Russ Sorensen. Some of you need to raise your hands higher. Kevin Lee, Ivan Gunderman, Luther Madsen, Lester Spees, David Breidenbach. Okay, look around. Raise them high. Raise them high. Now, if you know all ten of those names, go ahead and keep your hand up. Otherwise, put your hands back down. Look how few hands are up right now. Now you can put your hands down. These are the names of the ten pastors who have previously served our congregation since faith was founded. About the same time, Steelbridge was founded, um, 1955, November. A few of you were familiar with all ten names. Most of you are not. And as I've been saying for 20 years, pastors come and pastors go. And no congregation should ever be built upon the personality of any one pastor. Real Christian community, authentic Christian community, they're founded on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Pastors die, pastors become disabled, pastors will disappoint you, pastors get discouraged and leave the ministry, pastors accept new positions of leadership with other churches and organizations, 
And a few pastors, only about 10% these days, actually stay with it long enough to retire from congregational ministry. But to that list of 10 former pastors at Faith, we will soon add another. Pastor Mike Easton has asked me to tell you this morning that he has decided to retire. He and his wife, Debbie, will be moving to Ohio in June. I hear you gasping. They have children and grandchildren in the Buckeye State. They have grandchildren in the Buckeye State. (laughs) Some of you know the power of grandchildren. So you can understand and appreciate their decision to be closer to those precious little ones. So please listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Listen carefully. Mike is not leaving because he wasn't nominated to be Faith's next senior pastor in our proposed plan of succession that we'll vote on in January. Mike is nearly five years older than I am. When I retire, he'll be at least 70. He wants to retire. And he has earned the opportunity to retire from ministry and enjoy this new season of life. Secondly, we're going to celebrate Mike's retirement and his ministry among us on Sunday afternoon, May 20th, with a special program here in the sanctuary at 3 o'clock, followed by refreshments in Fellowship Hall. All of you are invited to come and be part of that uh, day of celebration. And here's the third thing I want you to listen to carefully, especially those of you who just gasped. Fear not. Relax. All will be well. Don't push the panic button. Start worrying about what we're going to do now that Mike is soon to leave. I have already been in conversation and prayer with Pastor Jerry and Pastor Carol, and I've done that thanks to electronic communication with Carol because she got the news her second day in England. We already have a plan for leadership and coverage in all the areas that Mike will be leaving. We have a plan. We always have a plan here at Faith. (laughs) So just relax and take a deep breath. Your pastors know what they're doing, as hard as that is for some of you to comprehend. We have navigated many changes in personnel, and we will do so again by the grace of God. So Faith will soon have a list of not 10, but 11 former pastors. Mike's name will be added to that roster. The same will eventually be true for Carol and for me. And God willing, at least not for another 18 or 20 years, Jerry's name will be added to the list Pastors come and pastors go. Life is not static. Change is inevitable. Some changes, you know this because you've lived them, are rich blessings and you welcome those changes. And some changes are difficult and painful and they are disappointing. And in the midst of all the changes of life this side of heaven, we always turn our hearts to Jesus. We always seek the mind of Christ in our life together as his people. And we listen to and learn from the word of God, which is changeless, and the eternal truth that God provides us in Holy Scripture. And we are reminded of that truth as we reflect uh, with James (laughs) and what he tells us about the kinds of congregations that are pleasing to God and what kind of congregation we should continue seeking to be. And in those 13 verses that we heard from James, we listened to him speak to us about favoritism, about love, and the importance of mercy. 
There is no place in authentic Christian community for favoritism, or as James puts it, uh, partiality. Now, we know that in the world, that happens all the time. Let's just be honest. In the kingdom of this world, we make distinctions all the time as we label and categorize people, and they categorize us. We notice people who appear to be wealthy and well-dressed. You notice when a brand-new Mercedes pulls up beside you, and you notice when a beat-up pickup pulls beside you. We notice people who appear to be wealthy and well-dressed and those who appear to be poor and lacking. That's the way of the world. But it's not the way it's intended to be in the house of God. Here we treat all with kindness and respect, for every child of God is precious in the Lord's sight. Christ died for all, and all means all. But I have observed a slightly different problem than the one James is addressing in Myers of Ministry. And this problem is not getting better, it's getting worse. It's not that church people pay attention to the one they think is rich and then ignore the poor person that they think is poor when they come into their assembly. It's the problem of ignoring everyone. I have asked you, I've pleaded with you, I've encouraged you to greet new people you don't recognize in the centrum, in the fellowship hall, every weekend. A little hospitality goes a long, long way. And it's not just my opinion. Lifeway Research Institute has looked into this, and their data indicates that the first six minutes after a visitor arrives at church are the most significant. And before the hymn, before the pastor has everyone stand up and greet your neighbor, you know, the official mandatory greeting. And even before the pastor preaches his sermon, most visitors have already made up their minds if they will come back a second time. And what is important in those first six minutes? Hospitality. How they are welcomed or greeted or not. And if a visitor comes into a building and stands alone those first six minutes, without anyone even acknowledging them, they rarely come back. So I have preached on the importance of evangelical hospitality. First impressions are lasting impressions, and you don't get a second chance with many people these days. And I've heard, because I've been with you now almost 20 years, your reasons for not showing that kind of welcoming spirit. You have told me over and over and over, Pastor Bruce, don't tell me to go to say hello to someone I don't know. They might already be a member. So what? Uh, Is it like you're going to be embarrassed for not knowing they're a member? That's the reality already. If they're a member and you don't know them, isn't it about time you got acquainted for crying out loud? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a richer, fuller fellowship? But here's a second reason most of you give me. Oh, it's easy for you to say that, Pastor I'm shy, and it's really hard for me to start a conversation. I got three words for you, and I say it as my grandmother used to say to me, with love in my heart. (laughs) Get over it. I am an introvert. I know some of you find that hard to believe. I'm an introvert. My wife Kirsten didn't believe it. I said, watch. I did like 20 online surveys, every single one. Major introvert. I would rather be in the mountains alone than standing in front of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people every weekend here at Faith. Standing before you and preaching right now is not easy. 
When I grew up as an army brat and my father was stationed all across the country on military installations, our schools on post were a lot like paramilitary units. And we always had the kids with the A sitting in the front and the Z's in the back. And thank God I'm a wilder. And whenever there were book reports to give, Jimmy Anderson, Bobby Barnes, Mary Miller. Oh, and sometimes, by the grace of God, the bell would ring, and we were only to Julie Thompson. And I didn't have to get up and speak. This does not come naturally to me. But God called me to this ministry. And I can tell you to get over it because God told me to get over it. (laughs) And he helped me get over it. And he can help you too. God calls you to this ministry of hospitality. And that hospitality really has to do with love, doesn't it? James talks about the importance of loving the way Christ first loved us and loving the stranger in our midst. That doesn't mean you like everything about every other person. I'll get to that in a minute. You know, when I'm not preaching here, because I'm an introvert... And if I'm not doing counseling sessions in my office while you're here worshiping on a Sunday morning, I will often go to another two or three churches on a Sunday morning just to go sit in the back. Yeah, I sit in the back. I confess it. Are you a bunch of introverts back there? (laughs) I go to the back. And I've gone to congregations where the music, whoo, it was so off-key, not like this morning's music. I've gone to churches where the preaching was um, at best mediocre. And, you know, your prayer is just, Lord, help this preacher wrap it up. And where the building was uh, nothing to brag about. But in some of those same congregations, I could feel the love among God's people. And like I said, love doesn't mean that you like everything about the person near you. Those of you who are married, I hope you love your spouses. Do you like everything about him or her? Kirsten doesn't like everything about me, but thanks be to God, she loves me. God doesn't like everything about you, doesn't like everything about me, but he loves us. And we're called to love others with that same Christ-like love. It's the love of God, not the personality of pastors, that has sustained God's people through the ages. Through times of persecution, times of abundance, times of scarcity, times of war, times of peace. And it's the love of God that Sustains congregations through changes in pastoral leadership and personnel. He's been doing it at this church since 1955. And then James speaks to us about the importance of mercy. God is merciful to us. We should be merciful to one another. We should be slow to judgment. This story has stuck with me um, since I was a young pastor in my 20s. It's a true story. A young woman who had made a mess of her life from one bad choice after another, spent most of her time living on the streets and doing things that no father or mother would want their daughter to ever do. Happened to be in a um, restaurant late one night. She'd been begging and had enough change and coin to go get a a meal. It was that kind of restaurant that stays open 24-7, A young pastor happened to be there as well. He didn't ordinarily go to those kinds of places, but he had been called out in the middle of the night to the local hospital where a church member had been shot and died in the emergency room. 
and he just needed to decompress because he was thinking, you know, when I went to seminary, I didn't sign up for this. So before he went home, he stopped at that same 24-7 restaurant for some strong coffee. And he happened to notice this woman I described to you uh, crying. And the shepherd's heart, the pastor's heart within him, led him to go over and just say, are you okay? Are you all right? And she, for some reason, shared her story, not knowing he was a pastor. And then he said, well, I serve a God of love, and I'd I'd love to have you come to my church this coming Sunday. Let me tell you where we are and what time services begin. And she fired back, why would I do that? Why would I go to a place where people would judge me? Going to church would only make me feel worse, and I already feel horrible about myself. Now, perhaps you're thinking that here at Faith, we would never treat such a woman differently because of her past, and I happen to agree with you. But my concern is this, not that we would treat her badly or make her feel worse, but that if a person like that happened to come here, she might stand alone. And someone who feels so alone doesn't need to come to the house of God to feel all alone all over again. Your decision to greet or not greet someone is not just a gimmick. Your decision has to do, has everything to do with whether a person who's feeling broken and lost and invisible might just experience a ray of hope and a little bit of the love of God that we all know so well. And it might have everything to do, those first six minutes, as to whether or not they come back a second time. So I'm going to close with a question. What kind of church do you want Faith Lutheran to be? Pastors come, pastors go. The people of God remain. What kind of congregation do you want Faith to be today, in five years, in ten years? What kind of congregation do you want Faith to be? The answer is simple. And it's not complicated. It's up to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.